Uh, turn your Bibles to uh, Revelations chapter 21. Revelations chapter 21. We've been speaking the last three or four weeks on uh, heaven and end time events and uh, the things that's going to be in eternity, some of the things to expect in our future. Uh, we have to base our life and our guiding principles on the Word of God, and we're looking through the Scripture to find places that talks about things that we can expect as a future. We know without a shadow of a doubt that Paul says not to be ignorant about uh, those who fall asleep and that there's going to be a catching away of the saints, a catching away of the church in Thessalonica. Lonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 17, he speaks about that, 16, 17, 18, and tells us that there's going to be a, a rapture of the church, that he's going to catch us away, that the dead in Christ shall first rise, and then which we are alive and remain will be caught up to be with them together in the air forever. And we know after studying the second week that uh, we looked at that at the end of that rapture event that there's going to be a seven-year tribulation, a time of peril, a time of sword, of all the things that the book of Revelations talks about going to happen uh, on the planet earth during those seven years that the church is absent, that we're with Jesus, and at the end of that seven years, the devil's going to try to come in, uh, rule and reign, and uh, he's going to start this uh, battle of Armageddon where he's going to take on God, God's going to win, we're going to win instantly, we're coming back with him, it's the second return of Jesus Christ to the planet earth, actually where his foot touches the ground. And when that happens, it's an instantaneous thing that's going to be a thousand-year millennial reign of Christ that uh, we're going to live here for a thousand years. Look at your neighbor and say, a thousand years is going to be a long time. That's going to be a long time. I don't know about you. That's, uh, I'm just turning 41 this year. Next month, I'll be 41 years old. It seems like I've lived forever in certain ways, and then other ways I look back, and it seems like I just graduated high school yesterday. And, you know, it's, it's kind of both at the same time somehow. I don't know how that works. But we're going to be here a thousand years, and that's going to be a long time. We know that's in Revelation chapter 20. We've studied that and seen that. And then uh, last week we talked about the judgment, the great white throne judgment, and how God is going to judge both the quick and the dead. And, and He's going to, uh, we're going to give account for everything, every word, every action, every uh, thing that we don't do, too. If He tells us to do something and we don't, so we're going to give account for that as well. So it's not just the things we don't do, but it's also the things or the things we do, but it's also the things we don't do. So you're supposed to be uh, mindful of the Lord and do what he tells you to do. But today we're in Revelation chapter 21. This is the last week of this end time stuff. It says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, a torn for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no pain, for the former things has passed away. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the encouragement that you bring to us. God, we just ask that you open our hearts, open our minds today, be receptive of what you're speaking to us. And Lord, let us see a picture of what it will be like there. Lord, that we will get a glimpse in of our heart of eternity and the things that are to come. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, Amen. Won't it be wonderful there? We don't uh, understand uh, 
totally, and I wish I could paint you a picture today of an absolute uh, picture and draw it, and I'm not an artist. Uh, maybe Greg could come up. He's, he's an artist, and maybe we could get a little bored up here, and he could get some crayons and, and different things and start coloring and drawing. And, and if mine did, it would look like stick man. That's, just a, that's about the extent of my artsy. I, I'm not very artsy, so, uh, and I'm not very good at words either. You can probably tell by the way I'm talking right now. My vocabulary is a little limited, I, but I'll do the best I can. But God's Word tells us here that, that, uh, that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. That it's former, uh, the former things have passed away. That the old heavens and the old earth is done away with. That there's a new one after this great white throne judgment. And it's going to be a great place. It's going to be an awesome place. But I can't explain in great detail any uh, things about that other than what Scripture teaches. But as I was thinking about this message and how uh, to have Ernie to sing, I love when he sings these old hymns. I love... Growing up in an old country church myself, Hilltop Tabernacle, there's about 15 people went to the church, and we go out there, and Aunt Mary, I see Greg shaking his head, he remembers, Aunt, it's Aunt Mary to me, but it's Grandma Mary to Darren, so it's, or, so it's that way, you know, so Aunt Mary was there, and just hearing them sing these songs, and, and uh, they loved God and loved people, they really did uh, uh, cherish uh Worship. They cherished singing. They loved to sing, and the Hilltop Trio. They wasn't known to anybody but the Hilltop Crew. But we we thought they was great. We we really loved the Hilltop Trio, and hearing Sister Marjorie and uh, Brother Kermit and Sister Janet Cooper. If anybody knows Janet Cooper down at the uh, the bank down in Vanceburg, she's still working, I believe. Last time I was in there, she was still there. Been years at the bank. Uh, wonderful voice. Uh, wonderful. Uh, the old hymns are great. The new hymns are awesome. I love the new songs, you know, the new words and stuff. So I like a little mixture of both. I'm not, some people get set up in a camp and say, well, it's only the new music or only the old music. And I'm more of the type that says, well, why can't we all just get along? Won't you look at your name and say, why don't we just all get along? <laughs> Wouldn't it be awesome there if we could all just get along? <laughs> so if we want a picture of heaven, I think the best picture of it is we're all getting along. Won't that be awesome? Amen. No more fighting. No more bickering. Jason shaking his head like, yes, I can't wait till that day. <laughs> you, mean a, you mean a peaceful home? It's going to be awesome. So, so as, as we're painting this picture, I was thinking, you know, from the perspective that looking back at that old song, and, and I love when we, when we sing the old songs here and, and having Ernie do that from time to time because some of these old songs have meaning behind them and have a, a little uh, thing for us to understand and won't it be wonderful there and sometimes you'll be going up the road and just an old song will hit you and like you'll be singing it through your head you know and, and the Bible tells us in Corinthians or in uh, Colossians I told you to read Colossians chapter 3 last week and it, it, it talks about singing in psalms spiritual songs and hymns it tells us to sing unto God and uh, there's a whole book in the Bible called Psalms ain't that awesome there's a whole book where David and, and Mary and Moses' sister and Moses and all these people, they wrote these songs, and song, uh, Solomon wrote some of them. And the Psalms is just awesome to read through, and, and it's, it's a song book is what it is. We read it as scripture, but it was a song book to them, and uh, it's just awesome to think about what songs can be. Music is important. Uh, there's music in heaven. There's singing in heaven. And we'll be singing hallelujah. And uh, there's all, a lot of verses that talks about singing in heaven. It's important here on earth that we sing. I think it's important that we have. Uh, I was listening to a song this past week. I think it's third day or one of them is, uh, well, okay, get back to where I'm supposed to be. We're talking about heaven. Amen. 
So in, in speaking about heaven, what's it going to be like? It's going to be hard to explain that, and I can't paint the picture. I'm not an artist. But uh, God wants us to see what heaven will be is what he tells us here in the scripture that we read, that there will be no sorrow, no weeping. Won't that be wonderful? Amen. Where there's no sorrow, there's no pain. And in this life, there is pain. In this planet that we're living on, on this planet we're living on right now that's going to pass away, there's going to be done away with, there will be a new heaven, a new earth. But this earth that we're on currently, that we're currently sitting here, there is pain. There's heartache. There's sorrow. There's crying. And sometimes we cry. Does anybody ever cry? It's, it's healthy to cry. And I know you might go to some psychiatrist somewhere that says don't cry and, and bottle it all up or something, but I, I feel like I'm just a, I'm a big crybaby anyway, so I, I think just let it go, man. Just let it go. If you want to cry, cry. It's good. I think it's healthy. Because um, the Bible says that God bottles up the tears of the saints. Amen. He bottles those tears up. And if they mean something to God so much that he would bottle them up and hold them, Amen. It must mean something here. So it, it's a healthy thing to cry. So if you cry today during this sermon, I hope you do. I hope everybody here leaves with wet eyes. It'll be an awesome service. If everybody leaves crying, it's going to be good. That's the kind of service I like. Uh, so uh, you don't have to. So you can't. I don't, I'm not telling you to hit somebody. So don't hit poor little Cubby. Make him cry or nothing. Don't yeah, smack him or something like that. But there's no sorrow there. That's, that's a picture that God paints for us, that there's no sorrow. But in this life, Paul says that if there's no hope of eternity or no hope of a future outside of just what is here on this earth, this life that we live, he says that we are men most miserable. It's in Corinthians. It says that, that we are men most miserable if there's no eternity. So I have to, in my, and the Bible also says that God writes eternity into the hearts of men. So there is an eternity perspective that we understand from early childhood that there's an eternity, that there's something more than this. Amen? Can you just look over to your neighbor and say, I really, I really think there's something more than this. Why? Because i got to hope that it's going to be better. <laughs> Amen? I hope it's better than this. If this is all I've got to deal with, then life's not much. Amen? Jesus said, I have came that you would have life and more, have life more abundantly. But what's that mean here? What's in life here? Jesus said, I had come that you could have more life. How many can say sometimes in this life there's sorrow? So Jesus is saying you're going to have more sorrow. Amen? Or there's joy in this life. There's seasons of joy. That there's joy unspeakable and full of glory. It's an old song, but it's in Scripture too. And, and there's joy there. So in this life, when Jesus came, he could have more joy in our life. Amen? There's a little bit of all of it, but there's, we can get more out of life after Jesus than prior to Jesus. Amen? Life more abundantly, more of it. I want more out of life. Amen? I, I hope and pray for more. And whatever God sees fit to put me through, then, then that's what I'm going to accept. It's what He gives for me. But in this life, there is misery. There is, and, and misery loves company. Well, that wasn't a very good amen. I said misery loves company. Amen. Hurting people hurt people. All these statements you hear throughout your life, there's a lot of truth in those things. Amen. If you get me, I'm kind of negative natured by how I'm made up, personality, whatever you want to call it, personality trait. I'm kind of negative. If I get around somebody negative, I get more negative. Amen. If I get around somebody positive, 
I, I become more positive. We are influenced by the people we're around. I, and Amy's got this sense about her. Sometimes if you're around, you know, but you go on town or something, and she says, I don't like this air I'm feeling. She says it that way. I don't like this air I'm feeling. And what she's saying is, there's a negative vibe around here. And she's probably talking about me. I'm probably the one bringing on the negative vibe. I don't know. And Jason's just sitting over like, mm-hmm, I'm going to be going quiet right so there's this there's this negative nature to us that what why is there a negative? The only reason there's a negative on planet Earth today is because Adam and Eve chose to know good and evil. Prior to know the knowledge of good and evil, the Earth, Amen. The Garden of Eden was a perfect place. They didn't have to go out and plow no garden. Fruit just grew out of the ground just on its own. You didn't have to hoe it out. There was no thorns. There was no thistles. It was a perfect place. But what, do we understand it? Do we believe? How many believes God's in control? Amen. Amen. God's in control. We believe that that it's uh, omnipotent is the word, the theological word that He's omnipotent. It's all powerful. That God is all powerful, and I believe He is. I believe right now, if He sneezed, it would blow Earth out somewhere. Non-existent, Amen. That's how powerful he is. Just one sneeze could do away with all this. I really believe that that he's that powerful. But at the same time, he does have all that power. But does he project or mandate all that power? No. The reason I say that is because we are now that we have the knowledge of good and evil. Our decisions has consequences in our life. Amen. So if I decide today to do something wrong and something bad and then this consequence happens, that's my fault. And see, the story of my life is, is prior to Jesus. I was 23 years old when I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ at that altar of prayer. And 23 years of living the life that I wanted to live. And I was living my life every day with the decision and making the decision that I wanted hell to be my home. That's what I was living for. I was living to make sure I entered hell. And I was one of them ones that bragged about it. Yeah, I'm going to go down to the squirt gun and, you know, shoot somebody. I'm going to take a bucket of ice water with me. And I, I said all those stupid things. I used to say those things. I'd go out, and, you know, on the weekends and have a big old time and, and drink and run the bars and, and making good money construction and be like running out there, woo, I'll buy around for the house. Yeah, I'll spend all my money. I didn't have nothing. Mom ran my checkbook back then. I still kept enough cash so I could do what I wanted. And I would do those stupid things and, and those stupid decisions has consequences amen so I'll go out and run the bars on the weekend have a big time next thing you know the little things the Bible says little foxes pull the vine so little decisions we make and things on the weekend turns into next thing you know I'm going out on Monday and Tuesday night still going to the bar out there till 2 in the morning living it up Woo! I'm really living it up I'm having all these friends and I'm telling you right now if you buy a brown for the bar you'll have a lot of friends Amen. They'll come out by the droves. They'll be like, man, that man, he's an awesome guy. He's my best friend. He does this. And, he does. and then the next thing you know, when you really need them, turn around. Nowhere to be found. So one, one weekday night, I was out and partying, just having a big old time. And, and it's 2 in the morning, and they're singing, uh, what's the song uh, at the bar? Come on, don't act like you ain't never been to the bar. What's the song? No. You mean to tell me there ain't nobody in this room ever been to a bar? Well, I hope you haven't, Josiah. 
It's what they close the bar down with. It's closing time. Right? It's closing time. Turn out the lights. Yeah, it's, all, it's closing time. So you get that closing time song, and they, they tell you, last call. And I'm one of those type. If they holler last call, that means for me to go up the bar and get three more beers. So I can be ready for the last call. You know, it's one more song. It's closing time. So I'm up there and I'm getting me to make sure I got three more beers to make it through. You know, that, that don't get me to the parking lot. And drinking, and next thing you know, you get outside and everybody's partying. Yeah, let's go to so and so's house. Woo, let's go. Yeah. So I take off and go to somebody's house and we go there drinking. Next thing you know, I'm getting in the car with dad the next morning, hadn't been to sleep. So I drive, get in the car with dad, and he's going to haul me to work. 56 miles, and how he's sitting up there in the front seat. Mom's made their uh, food, you know, got their lunch boxes, and, and here we're riding up the road, and I'm, I'm bad shape, going to work. Going to go work construction. I'm going to live it up, you know. I'm living the high life here. Get to work that day, and I'm sitting there that morning, and they get us all around and tell us who you go do this, you go do that, and they kind of give you the little days, daily safety talk and all this, and finally the boss, he smells me. He comes over, and he's like, you've been drinking. I got friends in low places where the whiskey drowns and the beer keep chasing my blues away. I'll be okay. I'm thinking I'm okay at work, right? Boss looks at me and he says, uh, just stay in the shop today. Yeah, this drinking's paying off. This is awesome. This is the best consequences ever. He tells me, he says, hey, that fork truck over there, you know, it's messed up. You got something wrong with it. It's rattling or something. You go, go over and work on that fork truck because I was a diesel mechanic before, and I went over and tore the motor apart on that fork truck, and all day I was tearing it apart and just living life there in the shop. Yeah, I'm really making it, you know. End of the day, the boss walks up, and he says, uh, yeah, we're kind of getting slow on work, so uh, I'm going to have to give you two checks this week. You're laid off. I wasn't singing I got friends in low places. I was singing I got friends in no places. They're nowhere to be found. And I wasn't no longer buying around for the bar. So there was a consequence for my action. Amen? The, the life I was living, the decisions I was making, was God in control? Absolutely. Was he making me not drink? No. Was he making me not go to the bar at night? No. My decisions... Cause this consequence. And the next thing you know, I was off for three or four months. It was a pretty good while. Laid off. Drawing unemployment. Barely making it. You know, paying bills. And It's embarrassing when you have to go to your parents and ask. Can I overrun my checkbook? Could I borrow some money? <laughs> Can't pay my bills. Next thing you know, shutdown comes. They need more help. The boss calls back. Hey, tell Ben to come back. Another chance. Thank goodness, right? So I get in the car and we're going back to work. And I'm happy. I'm like, man, I'm going to do better this time. Get to work and get there that morning. And boss say, hey, how you been? How you been? Had a little time off. Yeah, done good and all this. And that. Okay, guess what your job is today? Put the forklift back together. It had been four months since I tore the forklift apart. So my job is to put the forklift back together. And I come back in and I'm thinking, oh man, because people's move stuff, it's just, I gotta hunt down parts and pieces. And I work and work and work and finally get the fork truck back together. But the piece that was bad, he wouldn't even order the piece that I needed to fix it. And I told him, I said, I need this, this uh, governor. It goes on the bottom of the crankshaft. And I said, I need this governor. And he said, hey, it'll be okay. And I went and talked to another old guy there because there's 
And the Bible says in the multitude of counselors there's wisdom. Amen. Gray hair matters. Amen. Young people, you need to hear that. If you're going through a rough patch in your life, a hard time, and seems like chaotic experience in your life, find somebody with gray hair and ask them how they made it through that storm. Listen. Learn to listen. You've got two ears and one mouth for a reason. You ought to do twice as much listening. So as I'm putting it back together, and finally I went and talked to this old guy, and he said, it'll run without it. Put it back together. So what I do? I put it back together. But the thing is, it was a governor that slowed it down where it wouldn't rev up too high. Next thing you know, my brother Howie gets on the fork truck after it's running and takes off down the parking lot running like 90 mile an hour down through the... <laughs> the boss was mad because he's bouncing through hoes and potholes and it's like... But I got it back together, got it working, and I kept my job. But one thing I knew for sure was don't show up drunk. Amen? Because there's consequences for my actions. So in saying that, God is in control. But he will not mandate anybody serve him. He will not require that you have to serve him. He will not make you give your life to him. He gives you a free choice. We're a free moral agent is what they teach you in theology, that we're a free moral agent. What's that? I don't know. It means you're allowed to make your own decisions. That's what it means. Simple as that. So God gives us that. But when he gives us that free moral agent, Adam and Eve had sin now. And what does sin bring? Heartache, pain, sorrow, suffering, tears, amen, bitterness, all these things. And as you read, hopefully you read the, uh, the Colossians that I told you to read, chapter 3, and it tells us in there to, you know, to watch what comes out of your mouth and watch how you act and do this and do that. And he's giving us a clear picture because God knows to explain to us if we do this, we're going to receive that. And he tells us to do the right things, and when we do the right thing, can I tell you every time you make the right decision and do the right thing that it's not going to cost you? Sometimes it does. Sometimes you'll stand up for, for righteousness and what's right, and you might, you might pay the price where that you lose, it, it, that people gang up against you and say they're going to do something else, and, and, and they run off and leave you because you stood for a moral, righteous reason. I'm not saying you're going to win every time, but I'm telling you this, that if you stand up for what is right according to Scripture... It'll always pay off in the end. Amen. It'll always pay off in the end. And what am I saying by the end? At that great white throne judgment when God says, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Enter in. <laughs> Enter in to the glory. It'll be an awesome place. I can't paint a picture for that. But I can tell you this. Our decisions today determines our future. It's absolutely God has empowered us with the ability to make decisions. And I don't know about you, but I can't stand up here and claim that I make the best decision every day. Amen? I mess up. Paul said, I die daily. Why did he say that? I need to die to the flesh daily. And that's Paul the apostle that's writing the Bible. <laughs> he says, I die daily. Why? Because I have to. Because daily I can make bad decisions. And just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean that I'll never make a bad decision the rest of my life. Because I can assure you, I've been around a lot of Christians, and they make a lot of dumb decisions. Should have been a bigger amen than that. We, we make bad choices. But because of our bad choices, is there a way out of those bad consequences that we're to pay? I think there is. It's called Jesus Christ and Him coming and leaving all splendor of eternity and coming to earth and living in a human form. And the Bible says that he endured the same 
afflictions that we endure. He, he is a child. He, he, he's seen these different things, and he grew up in Jerusalem and, and had all these events happen in his life, and his parents went off and left him. Or left him. Is that the right word? It's left. I told you about my English. Run off and left him one time. Amen. Imagine that. Jesus. Can you imagine losing Jesus? Lord, have mercy. 12-year-old baby version of Jesus and Mary and, Ma Mary and the Joseph out there having a big time and they're, you know, they're living life in the party and, and doing all that thing at, the, at, the, at this event, this big thing. Next thing you know, they're, they're running off. Whoa, let's go back home. Let's head back to Nazareth. And they go back towards Nazareth and get two or three days away and be like, hey, has anybody seen Jesus? Look at your neighbor and say, you ever left Jesus for three days? I'd say everybody in here has left Jesus for three days. Amen. I went three days without praying. I went three days without reading or studying. I went three days without calling some other Christian and trying to fellowship with somebody else. I've, I've went three days without Jesus before. But when you lose Jesus, I'll tell you where you'll find him. When they went back to Jerusalem looking for him, and they found him sitting there at the feet of those great wise people, Jesus hung around with those great multitude of counselors for wisdom. And as Jesus was there, and they come back and they said, Well, what are you doing? Why, why didn't you notice we was gone? He's like, I didn't go anywhere. You left. Amen. Jesus didn't leave them. They left him. It's that way in our life. He won't leave us nor forsake us. He'll go with us even to the end of the age, it says. But there is a chance in our life that we walk away from him. And when they come back to Jesus, he said, Shouldn't you know or don't you know I should be about my father's business. If you want to find Jesus, find good things. Find positive things. Let him be the resource in your life that speaks that still small voice in your ear and says, act this way. Act that way. And if you want to know what heaven's going to be like, it's going to be the perfect place. The place where there's no sorrow. There's no bad decisions. Because there, God is going to be in control. He's in control now, but he gives us the right to do whatever we want. You're not going to get like two million years into eternity and be like, well, I woke up this morning, you know, thought, God, I just thinking that I'd rather go to the lake of fire. Sorry, you don't get to make decisions in eternity. Eternity is going to be where God's in control, and it's going to be a great place. What's heaven look like? I don't know. In this last two scriptures, these last two uh, uh chapters of the book of Revelation it gives us a picture it says there's going to be uh, 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 walls of jasper and, and gates of pearl and it says there's going to be uh, the, the, the streets are going to be paved with gold can you imagine streets paved with gold does anybody know how much gold costs how much is an ounce of gold huh it bounces around somewhere between $1,200 and $1,900, according to, I don't know who makes that decision every day. So like somebody must wake up and say, like, ah, I feel like it's worth about $1,600 today. I don't, I don't know who does it. But I, I've got a little bit of silver. Me and Leslie, I bought some silver years ago off a guy. And, and I don't know what it's worth every day. I don't care. We just got it. And if I ever need to sell my silver, I will. I got one coin that's like this big around. What is it? It's a kilo. Not like kilo and drug money. I don't, don't, don't take wrong. I, ain't, I didn't say I had a kilo in drugs. I said a kilo in, in silver. I bought it. So it's an investment. Amen. 
I hope you love me. So streets paved with gold. It's $1,600 an ounce. Lord of mercies, if, if God paves his street with what we declare to be the most precious of metal, resources ain't going to be a problem in heaven. Amen? There's a lot of roads that still gravel, and they, everybody, whenever finally they come through in blacktop, and everybody's like, yeah, we made the big time. Now I, we, got, we got blacktop. I remember growing up on Brawry Creek that was gravel. And I remember when they blacktopped it up to Bill Ruggles, and I thought, man, we're, Brawry Creek's hitting a high life now. They've got blacktop all the way up to Bill Ruggles' house. It's awesome. Then next thing you know, they blacktop a little bit more and keep doing a little bit more. Next thing you know, blacktop all the way to the end of the holler. We was really riding on the wave then. We was going to hit the big time. Then the double-way highway comes through and tears it all up. Bridges wash out. They won't even put them back. Brawry don't matter anymore. But this event of paving streets with gold, that's just amazing to me. I can't figure that out. I can't understand that, but it's a pretty good picture, right? It's the only way that uh, John the Revelator knows how to describe it because he's explaining it in a way that he only knows what to explain it in ways of things he's already seen. The Bible says, and he tells how many furlongs and all this is, and if you figure that up in miles and all this, it's basically saying that it's about 1,400 miles wide, both ways, so area, length times width is area, right? So he's saying it's about 1,400 miles wide. That's pretty big. That's a lot of property. That's like going from Virginia Beach to uh, Colorado, Denver, Colorado, 1,400 miles. That's a lot of ground. And it's like from the Canadian border all the way to Florida. So that's the patch of big. If you take uh, America, the, over a half of America, that's about the size of heaven that he's describing here. That's pretty big. That's a lot of ground. Lewis County still got a lot of ground. I, you drive by, just start looking at the amount of ground in between houses. If you go down the Dubway Highway, there's property everywhere. And I just look around sometimes like, who owns all this? There's ground everywhere I look. Just amazing to me. 1,400 miles square, but it's not only 1,400 miles square, it's also that much in volume. So it's 1,400 miles high. Really? Can you imagine a city, 1,400 Miles high? I can't even fathom that. And that's what John describes heaven to be. With walls, with gates, with roads. It talks about that there's a stream flows through the middle of it, and there's trees that drips the healing of the nations. And you can read all this in Revelation 21, 22, and it's just amazing to me as John's writing this stuff down. He's trying to paint a picture. It's the best picture we can have. But I'll tell you the best thing we can understand about heaven going to be a lot better than this <laughs> amen I want to go somewhere better than this I love life I, I don't want to give up on life and I'm not I'm not telling you that, that life isn't good here I, I love life than the life that God's given me but I'm telling you this that there has to be something better than this so at age 23 whenever I come to that point and, and, and I was driving through town one night going to go drink and next thing you know I was driving by couldn't find no friends driving by the, the liquor barn down there and it was like this uh, uh, it was a bottle out front of the beer carry out there in Vanceburg. It turned into this, it looked like the Grim Reaper. It scared me to death. Literally. It, I, it's like, what? If you see the Grim Reaper, I'll tell you right now, you won't go to the bar that night. You don't know where I went? Straight to the house. 
Because all my life I grew up in church, and, and at this point I quit, you know, the day I turned 18. I'm not going to church anymore. Mom crying in the car, get out of the car, go to church. I'm not going. I'm 18. I'm a big boy now. Big boy. I had to pay. I didn't eat no food, good food. She didn't go in there and cook everything I wanted after that. <laughs> Paid a little bit. I didn't go. So for five years I lived like a hoodlum doing what I wanted to do. But I can tell you this, every night when I went to sleep, those voices were ringing in my ear. I was going to split hell wide open, and I knew it. Because there's something inside my head telling me, you're not acting right, you're not doing right, and if Jesus comes tonight, you're not going. I knew it. And that ain't a fun place to live. And when I seen that Grand Reaper, it's like, oh no, the time has come. And I don't want to go to hell. There's nobody willingly wants to go to hell. There's nobody wakes up and be like, yeah, woo, let's go to hell. We say stuff like water and all that, water pistol. Yeah, yeah, that ain't going to happen. So when I seen the Grand Reaper, went straight home, and I was living to myself in the trailer at that time, and sit there, and, I, and more it began to bother me. And I, I, I promised God, I said, if you'll let me go to church tomorrow, I promise you I'll give my life to you. Let me get to church tomorrow night. I promise you I'll give my life. So I get in the truck the next night, and we went to Sunday evening church all of our life, and, and I went Sunday night, and, and I thought sitting there thinking, well, where am I going to go to church? There's two churches right across the street from my house where my trailer was. There was two churches, literally. I could have thrown a rock and hit them. But I knew what they was. I'd been there, and I'd ate their Kool-Aid and drink, and, or I ate their cookies and drank their Kool-Aid during VBS. I knew what they had to offer. So sitting there thinking, I thought, well, I like girls. And mom always told me, growing up, after I was acting a hoodlum, I'd go home, she'd say, well, go to Raceland, they've got girls. She was trying to entice me to go to church by, with girls. It's a tactic that worked, because when I was sitting there thinking, where am I going to go to church? I wasn't saying, well, I'm going to go with mom. Like, I'm going to go where the girls are at. So I took off and drove to Raceland. I didn't know one person in that building. There's 350 people sitting in that church. I walk in and get on the back row. I don't know anybody. Didn't even know who the preacher was or anything. Just sitting there, and it's all going on. Pastor Wells preached a message, and they sang songs, and I stand there. And at the end, he says, okay, we're going to have an altar call. Mm, I remember these when I was a kid. And often I think back to that. All those years, I sat back there on the second row from the back with my grandpa, Papa Collier. He'd go with us and sit there beside of him, and they'd have an altar call, and I'd stand there. What I wouldn't give now to go back and walk down that aisle and have my papa to go with me. What I wouldn't give. But I waited till it's too late. <sighs> I stand there on the back road and Pastor Wells off this altar call and I thought, man, I can't walk up in front of 350 people to go up there to that altar. I can't do that. Stood there, stood there. He finally, he says, you know, let it go on a little bit. And he said, okay, we're going to move forward. He said, I just want everybody here to bow your head, close your eyes, make sure. He said, uh, is there anybody here that feels your heart beating? You know you need to come tonight, but you're just, you're not going to. You're afraid or something, you're not going to. And you'd like for me to pray for you. Everybody's heads are bowed, eyes are closed. He said, raise your hand. I'm brave enough to raise my hand when nobody's looking. Raise my hand. Walked out of there, got in the truck, drive back down the road. And I've told you guys this story before. And as I was driving down the road, my heart began to beat that much harder. And I was like, man, that Grim Reaper scared me, God. And I said, 
I'll turn around right now. Let somebody be at that church. And if it is, it's a sign. I had to have all these signs. Amen. The Bible says that we're Greeks and Gentiles and we're goofed up about signs. I drove back. I had to have this sign that somebody be at the church. And I got back there and there's cars all the way around the parking lot. Pulled in. Walked through the door. And you got to understand this version of Ben Collier is not the best version. I was wearing my black leather jacket and it was cool back then. I don't care what you say. Black leather jackets. I mean, I had the zippers. I was Michael Jackson Jr. That was me. <laughs> Looked like a hitman or something. Black cowboy boots. Come walking in with this crazy look on my face. And it's a wonder they didn't think I was there to shoot them or something. They didn't. This, the youth group was there waiting, trying to figure out where to go eat. And I walk up and I just go right for, straight for Pastor Wells because he was the guy that preached the message. I didn't know who he was, nothing. Just walked up to him. By the time I got to him, Waterworks come on. Man, I was sobbing. I was crying. I walked up to him. He said, what, what do you need, young man? And I said, I need to be saved. That's what I need. And I promised God I'd, I'd get saved. He didn't say, come up here to this altar and let me pray with you. He hollered at that youth group and he said, get up here. you got a guy here who wants to be saved. And the youth group led me up to the front, knelt me down at that altar, and I was sitting there, my knees, and just crying. Didn't know what to say. Didn't know how to pray. I thank God for a church like Bethesda that teaches kids how to pray. When I heard little Alex pray a prayer, it just tickled my heart, man. Because I grew up in church and I didn't know how to pray. I was sitting there and I was scared because I didn't know what to say. There's a little youth group boy. He was a teenager. He put his arm around me and he said, man, you need to say something. I said, I don't know what to say. He said, just pray and ask God to forgive you for your sins and make eternity your home. And that's what I said. God, forgive me of my sins and make eternity my home. And the very instant I said that, it was like a weight lifted off my shoulders. And I felt free for the first time in my life. Because I heard eternity become a reality at that moment, at that instant. And I stood up and, and kids tried to get me to go out and eat with them. I said, no, I, I ain't got time. Because the only thing on my mind was I need to get to the house. We didn't have cell phones. It was, this was prior to cell phones. October of 99. I made fun of people for having pagers. I got one a year or two later, but... Drove home, and the first thing I needed to do was call my mom. Call my Aunt Mary and say, I got saved tonight. And thinking about the hell that I'd put them through, all the consequences that I'd laid upon them by my actions. Won't it be wonderful there? My mama wasn't worried that night about me where I was going to go down and lay down and go to sleep. She wasn't worried about where my eternity was going to be. She knew when I told her, tonight I was saved, it was real. It's the best phone call you ever make. And the thing about my mama was in 1997 when Bethesda first, they wasn't even, they was buying the building and they was transferring the one in, uh, transforming the one in Vanceburg to a church from a garage. And they went in there before the carpet was there and they wrote down names on the floor and my name is written underneath the carpet at the Vanceburg Church 
on the concrete. My mom wrote my name. In 1997, when I was a hoodlum, when I was getting laid off for being out drunk all night, my mom was trying to write the name on the floor saying, Benton Collier. And to think about how important heaven is and believing when, the, when it seems impossible. She would have accepted any version of, of Ben Carrier in God at that moment, the way I was acting. Little did she know 20 years later, the name she wrote on that floor would be preaching messages about heaven to a group of people. We don't know the future. Only thing we got is right now. But I'm telling you, heaven's going to be a better place than this. Let's if you'll come. Let's all stand. I love that song Ernie sang, and it's, the chorus of it is, Won't it be wonderful there, having no burdens to bear, joyously singing with heart bells all ringing, won't it be wonderful there? If you just bow your head and close your eyes. See, I grew up in church thinking that the only way I'd ever get saved was come to an altar because that's the only church I'd ever saw. But in all reality, the night that I said on Saturday night, I had a false understanding of what was reality. And God will accept us wherever we're at, whenever we're there. You don't have to come to any altar. You don't have to come and shake my hand. You don't have to come and sign some church membership card. In reality, all you have to do is do what that young boy taught me how to do. Is to ask God for forgiveness of your sins and ask Him to make eternity your home. It's that easy. It's that simple. And salvation, I'm telling you, if you've got a burden in this place today, if you're sitting there thinking, man, I want this eternity that God is speaking about today in this place I want it to be wonderful where I'm going I want to make heaven my home and if you're tired of the burdens and tired of the weight of this life and you're ready to cast those things off today the Bible tells us to cast our cares upon the Lord for he cares for us so I'm telling you today if you're burdened down with the troubles of this life today's your day that you can make that decision to make heaven your home Everybody here, just bow your head, close your eyes. I want to ask this very simple question. Somebody at Vanceburg campus this morning raised their hand and, and said they want heaven to be their home and they're tired of the burdens of this life. They come up and spoke about getting water baptized. It's an awesome, awesome thing for a church. But I pray that there's somebody here today. Is there anybody here to raise your hand and say, that's me. I'm tired of the cares of this life and I want to make heaven my home. Today's my day. Man, there's two hands in the air. Is there anybody else? Let's say, I want heaven to be my amen. Another hand. Whew. Hallelujah. Anybody else? I want everybody here to just pray this very special prayer with me. And we're going to pray with these ones that lifted their hands. Everybody say, Heavenly Father, I come to you. In Jesus, name. In Jesus' name, I'm asking you, I'm asking you 
for the forgiveness of my sins. Wash me. Make me clean. Make eternity my home. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So today alone at Bethesda at both campuses, four people have made a very crucial decision to make heaven their home. The Bible says that angels rejoice over one lost soul coming into the kingdom of God. Angels are, it's a party time in heaven today, I'm telling you. It's an absolute party time in heaven. The angels are rejoicing that people have made decisions for Jesus today. It's going to be wonderful. This feeling of euphoria that I got right now as a pastor to be able to pray with people. It's awesome. It's going to be better there. Amen. This week, I want you to be an influence to the people that's around you, that uh, you come in contact with wherever you're at. And I want you to talk about heaven. Amen. We don't do this often. I usually don't give you homework, but here's your homework for this next week. I want you to, people come in and talk, just talk about heaven. Talk about people that you know has went on before you. My grandma and grandpa, they're in heaven. I can't wait to get there. It's going to be wonderful because I get to meet them. Amen. Reunite. It's going to be awesome. Promote heaven this week, everywhere you go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go be blessed. Live with heaven on your mind this week, I promise you. I, I, I think it's going to be a week of heaven on earth.